This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and heading into the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. Lots planned. Feels like it's the end of the summer. I know some schools are back in. Some students are back into school. Others are getting close. It feels like the last couple of weeks of the summer for me. I mean, uh, just as winding down and a lot of things are picking back up and uh, and work is happening and life is moving. Hopefully we'll keep going straight forward. Hey, so I want to pause today. I want to, I want to highlight something for you that is different than much of what you've been covered. This is what you know. What you need to know. If you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can uh, sign up for the daily email. We call it the Wink. What you need to know. What you need to know. The Wink. Every morning you get it, 7 a.m. Pacific time. Excuse me, 7 a.m. Central time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, and it goes out uh, Monday through Friday. A couple of links, a couple of stories. Go sign up there. But what you can do every segment, every opening of the show. I do the wink. What you need to know. Open with what something that I'm seeing that I want you to know about. A lot of times it has to do with what you're, you know, what you are seeing on TV or other places. It could be about Congress or it could be about uh, Biden or whatever. Uh, I hope I add something to that. But there are other stories that I try to highlight that can show you uh, that I see that I think are important. And today is one of them. You know, over on Twitter, I think it was Jack Posobiec, he does a good job of highlighting China and the problems of China uh, and their sort of hypocrisy and the things they do. He's very good at that, right? And uh, but, um, the, but the thing about it is, uh, to, to, so earlier today, I think it was early Friday, I noticed that there, he tweeted a story that the Chinese government has decided they will no longer work with the World Health Organization on any of their efforts to get to the bottom of the Wuhan virus. And Jack Posobiec's uh, uh, response was, oh, big surprise, right? So that's a story you've seen. Here's a story you may not have seen, and this is very important. Do you know, do you know what the Monroe Doctrine is? Do you know what the Monroe Doctrine is? You know, a lot of us read about it and maybe you hear about it when you're in school, but maybe more and more kids aren't uh, hearing about it and reading about it in school. But in 1823, okay, in 1823, President Monroe stated what he called the uh, America's policy regarding the Americas and the Western Hemisphere. And at the time, the Monroe Drive, the reason he was doing this is because there was there was an idea, there was a movement to have um, people try to colonize the still wild far west, the West Coast. You know, we had bought it in 1804 from uh, uh, Jefferson had closed that deal from the from the uh, French. And uh, and now we're going forward and we're saying the you know, what are we going to do here? And there was this movement that there were people that were thinking about colonizing the West Coast. And so what Monroe said, and what he was very clear on, was a, was the simple Monroe Doctrine. Again, it's 1823, coming up on the anniversary in just two years. And um, you'll see people say the Monroe Doctrine ended. It started in 1823 and it ended sometime. No, no, no. The Monroe Doctrine is we need to continue the validity of the Monroe Doctrine because what the Monroe Doctrine said, it, it did not say, hey, we don't want the Europeans on our coast. That's not what it said. What the Monroe Doctrine said was we, we are concerned about systems that are incompatible with our system over here. So don't come here. Okay, that's the difference. And here, this is so important because the um, the the reason it's valid today is the same reason it was valid during the Soviet communist era. When the Soviet communists were trying to get into uh, the Western Hemisphere, the the reason the Monroe Doctrine was invoked was to say, hey, you, you can't bring that system in, you know, and in some ways it's going to be kind of um, 
funny to say it. I mean, I'd, I'd be a little, I'll be a, a little bit uh, flip about it. But you know, communism is incompatible as a system. Good old-fashioned democratic corruption, which happens a lot in Latin America and the Western Hemisphere, well, we're not going to object uh, about that as much. So the um, and th- and the reality is that's not quite. I don't. I mean, again, I'm being flip, but the re- but the here's what what I mean, we mean. And the stories are now coming out, and there's generals and admirals talking about this. The Chinese regime, the communist Chinese regime, is going forward. And all across Latin America and South America, and they're not just investing, not just giving money. Hey, here's something, you know, build a business or build a building. No, they're building deep water ports and trains, and they're developing around the Panama Canal. And it's, um, it is really, really dangerous for our peace and safety. That's what, that's another part of, by the way, the phrase that Monroe uh, used in the second, they call it the second passage, the um, second sort of paragraph he's talking about. And he said, um, it's dangerous. The any So here it is. We owe it, therefore, to candor and the amicable relations existing between the United States and those powers to declare that we should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. That's the key thing. Dangerous to our peace and safety. And my point here is we have a communist regime. They, and I'll put these stories up active, you know, one after another, building ports, deep water ports, which is a military asset, building trains, Panama Canal, building telecommunications infrastructure. This is it's almost as if you're watching the military expansion of the Chinese regime into our hemisphere and we're pretending we have nothing to do about it. And here's the real trick. Here's the dangerous trick. It's incredible to watch. One of the admirals was before the Congress, I think, and testifying, saying, yeah, well, this is a big threat in our hemisphere. China's doing it. But I have the solution. We should. The politicians agreed. They loved it. And here comes the rest of the, the, the uh, sort of grow government uh, America all over the world thing. They said we should invest in those nations. We should spend money in those nations. By the way, not on military stuff, which is what China's doing, not on infrastructure, which China's doing, but invest in businesses, invest in their government, give them more money. This is the Kamala Harris plan. We will solve immigration, Kamala Harris says. We will solve the border onslaught, not by securing the border. No, 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 that would be too easy. No, we'll do it by giving money to all the uh, regimes in Latin America that can't, they're corrupt, they can't work, and they're not, they're not functioning, and Mexicans are, 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 are uh, the Mexican quote-unquote government is dominated by the, not dominated, is run by the cartels, by organized crime. So in this case, the communist regime in China is actively furthering their system, which is communist, their system, which is not just uh, a competitor to ours, but you know, an enemy of our system. You know, you've got to be clear. The communists want to destroy us, period. It's not a debate. They're not thinking about competing. They want to destroy us. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy me. And so this is the threat. And we should invoke one of the great things about having a history. A great one of the great things about having a history is to invoke the history to understand what your values are. And the value in this case is don't come into the Western Hemisphere. Don't bring your because your system is incompatible because you're a threat to our peace and stability. And we can go back to 1823 to one of our founders at, uh, and we can say, look, this was something that we had done. This is something that we developed and worked for us. It worked all the way through the 1800s and especially worked after World War II with the Soviets. It's a vision. It's visual. You can understand it. 
You can understand what we mean. You can describe it to people and you can invoke the Monroe Doctrine. And then you have to change your mindset. It's a little bit like I've been studying, uh, again, you've heard me talk about it, the, the, the great book, uh, Enjoy It. So I'm, I'm so moved by it. I don't enjoy it. Um, it's called The Decline of Nations by uh, Joe Johnston. And I keep going back to it. And when you go in there and look, you, you, you see that the, um, you, the, every great empire, every great um, nation, forget empire, because I don't think of America as an empire in the sense that we don't conquer other lands, at least at our best we don't. And, uh, but they have great militaries. And when your military becomes a social services experiment, a social services, social services delivery mechanism and a social science experiment, it gets away from what you need, which is military superiority. Military superiority is peace. Military superiority keeps the peace from Washington. George Washington talked about it. we have to have a big enough army that we can defend ourselves and, and protect ourselves and everybody can see it. It's both. It's be militarily strong and everybody see it, meaning superiority is a is a noticeable trait, a characteristic people can see. And right now we have we, we, we have we do a lot of social science experiments in our military. We do a lot of expanding our military. We do a lot of good things, by the way. When we rush to save the world after a tsunami, it's impressive. But well, we have to be focused on what our military superiority is. And we need to understand we need to rediscover the Monroe Doctrine, what it means how to understand it, its history, and then how it applies not to a benign or neutral competitor named the People's Republic of China. No, it, it, how it applies to the communist regime and their system that is designed to end us and our nation and our people. That's what's at stake. That's what's going on. So that's what we, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about this. I think it's an opportunity. See if you can help get the word, get the word out to rediscover the continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine. It will be a powerful counterweight to what you're seeing in the world. And especially the arguments from people that say, oh, we'll just pass another uh, trillion dollar bill. Send a bunch of money to foreign countries. Uh, they, they'll, they'll squander it, but it'll make us feel good. It's not successful. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old fan, friend, it's time to tune. It's by popular demand. By popular demand, people keep saying, when, when will we get back to Noah Says, our segment where our great Noah Dingley, our producer, comes and, and regales us with wisdom, insight, and stories of uh, his great life. Welcome back, Noah. What say you? Uh, you know, the millions of emails that have been pouring in, the fact that the Dodgers need me on their side to uh, bring forth uh, the big blue heaven on this segment and all those other things. I'm doing swell, Ed. Good. Well, listen, we got a couple. We're going to talk about the recall because I know that you're a fan of Larry Elder. You've worked with Larry Elder for a long time. But first of all, give me your assessment. Earlier in the week, we talked with Woody Woodrum from the California Screaming Eagles, a San Diego resident. He His perspective. But it's a few days later. Um, there's been more attention on the recall across the country. Half of California seems to be burning. The other half is homeless. Um, and so what's your sense of the recall? Well, I'll say it like this. First off, I want to point out I haven't worked directly with Larry Elder, but we work for the same fine company, Salem Media Group. Awesome that uh, Larry is a part of uh-huh. the team. Now, you know, we don't hear him on a daily basis because he's saving California, or at least trying to. But the sense I get, Ed, is pretty much, you know, it's laughable that you see these ads out on TV. It's the Republican recall. It, it could not be. The, it's the furthest thing from a Republican recall. Californians, Republicans, 
independents, Democrats have been fed up, fed up with Governor Newsom or is uh, Andrea Kay, the great Andrea Kay likes to call him uh, King Mussolini and his he thinks that he can operate <laughs> California. And he said it on a dimmer switch and that he doesn't ever have to give these emergency powers back and that we have no freedoms and we have to do exactly what he says. And that's not even talking about the homeless. That's not even talking about the fires that rage in, in California. That's just talking about him trying to use this pandemic against the people of California so that he can have a little bit more control over the population. And he's got to go. So all right, now, but what what's your school is back in session, right? Is, is school back in session around you? I know School's your kids are older now. Yes. You're there. They're adults. But um, so what's the uh, and, and masks masks for the kids? Masks for the kids, uh, you know, and it, it's kind of laughable when you think about it, because it's been proven that there's almost zero chance that young children get it or give it. So the fact that they're being used as a political pawn, it, it makes me very angry that they should not be wearing masks. So but 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 what about the parents? Are the parents, you know, it's funny, uh, parents start out angry, they start out protesting, but a lot of times they just get busy with life and they say, OK, well, and they, I mean, because that's going to be the big, you know, if you think about it, Gavin Newsom, the timing of the recall it might maybe it couldn't be worse because I'll give you a couple of reasons. One is September 14th. That's just enough after the summer ends where all the lazy journalists who have taken a couple of weeks off in August are finally back and they're going to have to write about something. So they're going to they're going to finally pay attention. The kids are back in school for about three weeks. They're going to be miserable. The forest fires of the summer are burning across all of California. So, you know, and there's nothing else in the country. There's no other politics. Andrew Cuomo has uh, walked the plank. So are the parents who are watching their kids go to school, are they fed up? Are they, you know, is it it, or is it um, just kind of they're accepting it? You know, I I pay attention a lot to uh, what the parents are saying out there. I tune in not only to the local news and read the local paper, but really I have a couple of schools that are around me. My girlfriend has young children that are in school. I have to tell you, Ed, that it's a mix. There's some parents, obviously, for a good reason, that are busy, that don't have time for it. And that's understandable. When I when my kids were young and I'm a you know, I was a working single father, uh, there's not much time to push back. But there are some that are doing that. They say their kids have a right to breathe. There's a big movement for that here in San Diego, and they should not be wearing masks. So other than, you know, than that, and now you're having saying, well, you know, maybe the kids need the vaccine. When again, back to my earlier statement, it's been proven young children don't get it and don't give it. Why do they need a vaccine? You're seeing more and more parents stand up and they're tired of it. They're done. And that's where I think Newsom is done. Well, and and so now now let's move on now. Is there any more clarity? So the recall is on the 14th. The first vote is recall Gavin Newsom. Everybody knows that. But then the second one is who do you vote for? Obviously, Larry Elder has experienced this sort of boon in uh, coverage, a lot of attention. He's been doing some some uh, media, even doing some uh, paid media. Uh, You know, Caitlyn Jenner has become something of a a laughing stock. I think that's faded. But there's other candidates and some with real money and and some with real uh, records. What's the feel on that on the on the uh, where that's going? 
What the feel is, Larry Elder is definitely the favorite, and that just it, it tickles me in all kinds of ways. One, because he's one of the smartest guys I know. Plus, he's part of the Salem family, which you know makes it extra special for me. Uh, I have always loved his wit and his humor, and you know, and he try and on a daily basis when he has his radio show to. Save America, taking the country back. And now he's trying to save California, trying to do the same thing, a true conservative. I haven't really endorsed a candidate yet. Larry is definitely somebody that I would vote for, somebody else I like that is really smart and he knows how the system works and he's been in the system is Kevin Kiley. Kevin Kiley is definitely somebody else, somebody uh, that's looking to oust Newsom should take a serious hard look at. I want nothing to do with Faulkner. I want nothing to do with John Cox. They are rhinos, and I don't think they would be an improvement, even if Gavin Newsom is recalled. Yeah, I think it's, um, and, you know, and what's what's it? What's going to be interesting is when you get four or five or six people that are decently uh, well-known with some profile, they start to carve up their local area. You know, if you're a, if you're a, um, you know, a John Cox, he's, he's got a set of followers that were with him, volunteered and know his name. So suddenly you see, I wonder what you think, what, what's the turnout like? I mean, you know, it's, they mailed ballots, they're mailing ballots, I guess, in the next few days to everyone so that if you want to send it in, you can, you can also vote in person, but I wonder what the turnout will be. Is there, I guess, say at this way, uh, Noah, again, we're talking with Noah Dingley, the producer of the program and a host in his own right, but it, is this, um, are people paying attention? I know I know they poll like they do and they talk about it, but in terms of voting, you think they're paying attention to this one? Oh, they're paying attention very closely, especially with what happened in the 2020 election. I know some people are very upset. Some people think that it did not turn out the way that it was supposed to. All that being said, people are watching more closely with how elections are being handled going forward. And Also, upon that, I know many people that are saying, you know what? I'm not mailing in my ballot anymore. I'm going to the polling place regardless, and I'm making my vote election day in person. And I think that's where it's got to. People want to trust the system again, but the only way you can do that is by fixing the problem. A good first step, don't mail in your ballot. Go do it on election day. It's not election month, okay? It's election day. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, the thing I wonder too about is, is, uh, will people sustain that, you know, and you watch, uh, you know, Joe Biden said he's going to come to California and help save Newsom. We're probably going to see an onslaught of Newsom stuff and people just got to stay focused and be motivated because it's a big deal and they will try to steal it. I hate to say it. I think they'll try to steal it, but that's another part of this. Um, well, any last thoughts, uh, Noah, Noah says our, our great segment, Noah says any deep thoughts here at the end of the segment? I will say this in closing. If you're thinking about the California recall and you don't really know which way, it doesn't matter what your political party is, but you don't know whether to give Newsom the benefit of the doubt and to see how he does the rest of the term and maybe start fresh, or you think Newsom needs to go, you don't know who to vote for. California businesses and families have been devastated by this guy's dictator-like powers that he refuses to give up and that he abused. And it was Republican and independent and Democrat families that were affected by their businesses being closed, never to open again. And he does not care about the little guy. He cares about dining at the French Laundry. So ask yourself what he's done for your family. And then 
vote to recall him and make your best choice on who you think. And it, it's all it's going to take is who gets the most votes. There's not going to be a runoff. Whoever gets the most votes replaces Gavin Newsom, is the new governor of California, and can hopefully get us back on track. I personally think you should check out Larry Elder and Kevin Kiley. Really two great candidates right there. All right. Noah says, as always, the great Noah Dingley. We appreciate you, all your great work, and uh, we will talk again very soon. We'll take a quick break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We're visiting with our old friend Alex Newman right now. And I have a really pointed question for Alex. I've been thinking about him for a few weeks. And uh, Alex Newman, of course, is an author. Uh, he is also a, a journalist, an investigative journalist. Uh, he's written books. He's also uh, written, uh, uh, writes frequently in the American and other places. And I'll put all this up on social media. But Alex, before I get to more of your credentials, because I've been chomping at the bit on this, you followed the Common Core fight very closely. And it was it was like like hot in 2014, 15, 16. And then Trump won. The federal department of education did some good things, not enough. And now we got the CRT fight. My question for you, Alex, is you've seen, you've, 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 you've watched them looking at your book on my shelf. You've seen the history of, of the education fights. I'm worried that we're not realizing that sometimes we fight over something that is important, common core, but we can't really win if we don't understand what's behind it. In other words, common core was the whole system of teaching, not just what they would name common core towards the end. And CRT is the whole system of what they're seeing. Are you worried about that? Am I misreading it? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think you're exactly right, Ed. It's a major problem that uh, we are fighting on single issues here. Common core is a perfect example. Even if we could get common core out of the government school system, it wouldn't make the government school system acceptable. It wouldn't make it a safe place to send your children. And I've been saying the same thing about critical race theory. Even if we could wave a magic wand and get it out of the public school system, which we can't, right? This has now been embedded into the worldview of a huge number of our teachers. This has been systemic. It's been uh, pounded into their heads for four years at state universities while they were getting a so-called education degree. You can't just pass a law and ban CRT in the schools. But even if you could, it still wouldn't make the public schools acceptable. It still wouldn't be a safe place for parents to send their children for so-called education. So we've got to look at, at the broader overarching problem, and that is the system itself. You know, systemic racism in America today is an absolute myth. It's, in fact, it's a lie, a pernicious lie designed to destroy and divide our country. But there are systemic problems, and one of those is the government school system. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Alex Newman again. I mentioned Alex is the uh, he's an award winning international journalist. Uh, he is also the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media. And you go to Liberty dot org. You'll see a lot more there. He's written all over. He pu publishes all over the place, uh, particularly. I'm proud that he's over at the Epic Times uh, right now. He writes over there and contributes. But also, um, I love that. I love the Epic Times and what they're doing. Also, New American Magazine. OK, Alex, I'm. Um, I hear you. But now tell me this. I mean, I've watched you speak and you're so persuasive, so uh, loaded down with all the details. When you go out to good people, good people, I mean, I, I mean, I, maybe everybody's a good person. I don't want to be like saying, but you go to a good conservative place. 
I don't know, 75% of them have put their kids in the public school. So it's kind of, I hate to make this analogy, but it's, you know, when 55 or 60 million Americans have had an abortion, if you walk up to them and say abortion is murder, they have to go against what they did. There's a lot of healing that has to take place. You go up to parents, they think they bought a house in the right zip code. They put their kids in school. It's hard to make them believe that it's as bad as it is. Now, maybe COVID, the pandemic silver lining is that they saw some of it. Maybe the CRT fight is, 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 is getting there. But I, I feel like it's harder than people realize. I, I've got a great friend who's a devout Christian and he's fighting, fighting, fighting in his school district and the school board. And I'm thinking when you're done that fight, they're going to outlast you. That's what they do. I mean, so how do you persuade on this? Well, excellent question, Ed. And what I've noticed in recent years is that we are winning the battle now. When when I started telling people six or eight years ago that they needed to pull their children out of government schools, I got a lot of funny looks. I got people saying, yeah, you know, that's nice if you're really rich, but we can't all do that. I got, you know, some people would even say, well, that's kind of fringe, right? 80% of Americans send their kids to government school. How can you suggest that we've done uh, that we've made a mistake here? But I think that is coming to an end, and I think we really have won the debate here. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, multiple times before he passed away, number one talk show host in America, 18 million listeners a day, said multiple times in the last year of his life, parents, you've got to get your children out of the public schools. Franklin Graham, uh, one of the leading evangelical leaders in the world, has now come out and said uh, in response to these LGBT mandates in government schools in New Jersey, parents, you've got to pull your kids out of public schools. So major Christian and conservative leaders are now sounding the alarm. President Trump, multiple times in his last year of office, said we have to protect our children from these indoctrination centers, from these failing government schools. He said that's why we have this mayhem in our streets. That's why our cities are burning. And he was correct. So the polling data shows the liberals have lost the argument. The advocates of government education have lost the argument. Even public school teachers know better than to send their kids to public school. In fact, they're more likely than everyday Americans to have their children enrolled in a public school or to have them out of a public school. So this is really encouraging. Now the the hard part is we're competing with free. Right. And when you're competing with free, it becomes very difficult. But once parents see the urgency, I'll tell you, the tide is turning. People are waking up and the older people whose children have already gotten out of the government schools, they come up to me after every talk and they say, Alex, I wish we had heard this 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We made a terrible mistake. We've lost our child. They're completely bonkers. So the tide is turning. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. Well, again, we're talking with Alex Newman. And uh, again, I'll put up on uh, social media all of uh, Alex's uh, places to find him. LibertySentinel.org is one where he is the uh, CEO there. Um, Alex, I think it's turning. I think it's turning. I think the um, and the homeschooling is giving people an opportunity like it's it's making, you know, people are realizing, OK, I can handle that. Uh, I can <laughs> in some ways I can see how badly they did in my public school. Uh, I'm going to do I can do just as bad at home. I mean, in teasing, but in terms of organization, all the rest, <laughs> it's made a difference. People see the possibilities. Uh, you know, I do think. Uh, so I'll tell you this. I, I, I talk about this all the time. There's an old timer, a friend of mine. He's in his 80s, I believe. He's a, he went to Princeton undergrad and then uh, Harvard Law School. And he's an old fashioned American educated man, just well read, deeply versed and thoughtful and a conservative, of course, and, and a Christian. And I asked him about this and he said, I, you know, I said, how does it turn? And he said, the problem is we've lost like three or four generations now to the school system. And then he went on a riff on higher education. Alex, we get put our kids through the system and then we send them to these higher education. I, I, I know my kids are now getting close to higher education. I can't even stand it. And, and again, the system, it's um, it's so 
uh, broken, but it's so culturally acceptable. Try saying to your friends, oh, I'm going to have my kid take a gap year. They think it's, you know, they, they think, oh, that's weird. You know, why? what's wrong with your kid? You got a disease? You know, is it something wrong? You know, and, and yet we've got to try to change the paradigm. That's what I wonder about is that as much as I love Trump, he changed the paradigm of like fighting back in politics, but he didn't change the paradigm of higher education. He didn't change that. Yeah, and, and this is another one of those systemic problems where I don't know that there is going to be any kind of simple solution, any kind of change. One of the problems is that the people who run this system are completely indoctrinated to believe this. And, and as you pointed out earlier, you can't just go up to somebody who's dedicated their life to something and explain to them that they've been all wrong without encountering some serious resistance. But I think we are seeing a paradigm shift when it comes to education. I, I actually am a teacher. It's one of many things I do. I teach for a private Christian school called Freedom Project Academy. And I get tons of parents saying, Alex, we're so worried about the university. What do we do? What schools can you recommend? We need to find a Christian school that's not going to brainwash our kids. And we have, uh, I mean, the, the American people are waking up to this. And I, I actually, people think this is really incendiary when I say this, but I'm actually glad for critical race theory because it has caused this firestorm, this incredible awakening among Americans. And right now, unfortunately, they're they're wasting a lot of that energy by screaming at their school board members and things like that. But that's good, too, because it's causing others to wake up. And so what needs to happen now is all that anger, all that momentum that's being built up needs to be channeled into something constructive. We do have decent universities. We do have decent institutions of higher learning in this country. Hillsdale is a very good example. New St. Andrews up in Idaho, another good example. Uh, there's a handful of really, really good schools, Patrick Henry College, that, mm -hmm. uh, that are doing a great job. They're seeing a lot of growth. They're not entangled with government. They don't take federal money, so they don't have to succumb to these crazy mandates. And uh, there is a remnant, and it's growing, and it's going to keep growing. Uh, we're talking again with Alex Newman. And one of my favorite things to talk about is Crimes of the Educators, his book uh, that he wrote with the late Samuel Blumenfeld, um, How Utopians are, are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Extraordinary book. And as I always tell Alex, even if I thought it was extraordinary, which would be nice enough, the late Phyllis Schlafly, who knew something about books and something about writing, used to say it's one of the most important books on education. She just she thought it was so valuable. So, Alex, this is what I want to ask you. You mentioned systemic racism. My only quibble with our conversation here. And again, we're talking with Alex Newman, and I'll put up all, on social media all the places you can find his stuff. But one place, LibertySentinel.org, where he is the CEO and the writings are there and things to do, check out what he's doing and follow into it. But in your book, Crimes of the Educators, the only thing quibble I'd have with our conversation, I think there is one one real systemic racist entity, you know, uh, organization, and that is the school teachers unions, because they have a system that is trapping mostly black and brown kids in the worst schools in this country. And, 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 and the idea that we have a president who is, I mean, literally says, he literally says, I'll do whatever the teacher's union wants. That's what he says to them because my wife is a teacher's union. I, those people, people should revile. Americans should revile few. You know, I don't want to revile our fellow citizens. The, the teacher's unions, these are, these are dis, it's despicable institutions. They, you're absolutely right about that. And, and you know, another place where we see this horrific entrenched racism is in the abortion industry uh, and in the Democrat Party, frankly. I mean, what, what kind of political party dehumanizes an entire category of people based on their skin color by suggesting that they're too stupid to go get an ID to vote? while at the same time, saying that we all need to carry our medical papers around to be able to exist in society. Uh, this is the kind of dehumanizing racism that really permeates the Democrat Party. But I don't believe this is shared by mainstream America. 
America. Uh, we do see it clearly in the abortion numbers, right? There are more black children, uh, more black babies in New York who are murdered than are born as a result of the systemic racism that comes right down from Margaret Sanger, runs right through Planned Parenthood, the tax-funded abortion behemoth. Uh, and that is very firmly embedded in the Democrat Party. But when it comes to American society at large, mainstream Americans, um, normal Americans clearly reject those bigoted views. And I, I think the tide is turning on this as well. All the Democrats screaming and the fake media is not going to change the fact that Americans don't approve of this. All right, Alex, tell our listeners where they can find you or find more or your preferred path to get more from you or get on your emails or whatever you think to tell our folks. Well, thank you so much, Ed. My personal website, like you said, is libertysentinel.org. I'm also the senior editor at the New American Magazine. I'm a regular contributor to the Epic Times. I'm the uh, executive director of Public School Exit. You can find us at publicschoolexit.com. And I do a lot of other things, but that's uh, that's a long enough list now. So thank you for having me, Ed. I really (laughs) appreciate it. You're great. Thanks, Alex Newman, everybody. And uh, he's superb. And and get get clued in and follow his stuff and get his book. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Optics is not just a part of politics. Optics is politics. The notorious leftist organizer Saul Alinsky infamously said, Power is not only what you have but what the enemy thinks you have. This Alinsky quote speaks to a fundamental truth that every savvy activist should know. If others perceive you as being the only conservative around, your activism will not have anywhere near the impact that it otherwise would. Sadly, many people are unwilling to take a stand on an issue if they feel it would put them on the losing side of history, even if the standard is right. The abortionists at Planned Parenthood know this political rule all too well. If you look at the news and see the women's march and loud feminists clamoring for abortion rights, you'd think that the pro-life position is not winning in America. If you listen to the lobbyists from Planned Parenthood who spend millions of your taxpayer dollars convincing you to give them more taxpayer dollars, you'd think we're losing ground. In reality, this could not be further from the truth. Planned Parenthood operates more than 50% of all abortion mills in the United States, but they close location after location. Since 1995, Planned Parenthood has gone from 938 facilities to just 590. That's a total decrease of more than a third of their facilities in just one generation. Yet you won't hear these numbers by watching the evening news. This is a textbook case of Alinsky-style political optics. Remember, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Leftists use this rule all the time, and conservatives should know about it, too. Letting the world know that our generation is a pro-life generation can make all the difference as we fight for the unborn. We cannot allow ourselves to be marginalized by Planned Parenthood and other abortion bullies. Conservatives are the ones defending the sacredness of innocent human life, and America stands with us. We have the power of optics if only we're willing to seize it. Never let the liberals tell you otherwise. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. 
Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we got to wrap it up before we get to the weekend. I wanted to tell you about a story, very important story. Again, you don't see these things if you're not looking for them. You can't tell if you don't know what to look for, and so I'm here to help. I'm here to help, and in this case, I went navigating over to a very liberal website called Slate.com. Now, I don't actually recommend reading there because they're such blatant uh, liars and misleaders uh, in general, but it's inciting if you go in as a, like an almost an anthropology experiment, you kind of go in and look around to see what they're talking about. And sometimes they're shamelessly honest in what they want to see be the way the world is. And this was a case of that. There was an article written. It's called the IRS is the nation's largest anti-poverty benefits administrator. Now, think about that. What they're saying there is that the IRS, which was set up to collect the revenue, Internal Revenue Service, from taxes, that was the point of it. But it's become, over the decades, the greatest, according to the left, the greatest, the nation's largest, sorry, anti-poverty benefits administrator. Why? Because within the IRS, they use the tax code to punish families, to punish marriage, to incentivize staying at home, uh, excuse me, staying out of work. And so in this, in this essay, these two authors, I think it's two, Cassandra Robertson and Gabriel Zucker, they go through a great list of what the IRS is doing to transfer wealth from some people to other people. So, for example, they talk about that there's giveaways, direct payments to low-income families, they talk about how they're able to do uh, free benefits, uh, free um, earned income tax credit for people. They talk now about the child independent care tax credit, the adoption tax credit, the American Opportunity Credit, the lifetime learning credit, the federal government subsidy, uh, oh, the federal government subsidy for child care, education, health care premiums, on and on and on. And. The American Rescue Plan, one of the COVID bailouts, expanded the IRS even more by increasing the earned income tax credit tax credit for childless workers. So the earned income tax credit was supposed to be for people with kids. Now you cannot have any kids. You can still get the EITC. And in other words, you can have transfer of wealth, more things, welfare, and even more, welfare by the IRS is administered in such a way you don't ever have to look for work. They got, a, got rid of welfare to work. Now, understand what's happening. The use of the tax code, it's a transfer of wealth. They take wealth from you when you pay taxes and give it to the people they want to. It's no longer only about a safety net. It's about a social preference it's about a web of, let me say that better. It's not about a safety net. It's about a social preference web. They will take money and transfer it across the web of social preferences based on what they want. And it's a disaster. Here's why it's a disaster. All of those incentives, people respond to incentives. All of those incentives have impacts. They change people's behavior. That's how incentives work. That's how human beings work. 
But even more problematic is that the administration of these benefits comes from bureaucrats, comes from people who are in the system as government workers. In other words, there's nothing wrong with being a governor worker, government worker, by the way, but it tends to have bred in the last 25 years a certain type of uh, political view, small p political, not necessarily only Democrat, but heavily Democrat, where you want to see more power for government. And you are not necessarily being careful about auditing or protecting the integrity of this stuff. And the best example I can give is at the state level, which I knew best when I was working for the state of Missouri, was you would see that the same people who became administrative law judges and were reviewing workers' comp claims were the same lawyers who were assisting workers' comp claimants before they went on the bench. And it became this cycle, just give them the workers' comp claim, give them the disability claim. And the system became this massive sort of racket of handouts. That's what the IRS has become with this bureaucracy. It's a terrible thing for our nation, and that the slate is bragging about it and thinking this is a great thing shows exactly what the left thinks. So that's what I've got. Everybody, listen, have a great weekend, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Looking forward to being back with you next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thank you to Noah, our great producer. Thank you to Joanna for helping book our guests. We will talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.